Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, Fred, you came here about two years ago. What was the story when you came? Um, you were offering a free PDC for people that had been here for four weeks beforehand. Right. Was it four weeks? That was pretty. That was a pretty sweet deal on my my behalf. Right. So so then well, that PDC uh, didn't include any food. Right. That's true. That's true. The ones now they they, they do have food. In fact, um, I think that there are two tickets left to our PDC this year, and I don't know if our previous podcasts mentioned them, but. Um, I th- I think that they're going to be possibly the best PDCs offered in the United States this year. Pretty stellar lineup of guest instructors for the PDC, and then a really good um, appropriate technology course to follow. Yeah. Right after. Yeah, I I think uh, I think this is going to be quite the year for stuff here, um, and we're doing this um, the permaculture boot camp thing, and that's going to be pretty exciting. I mean, we've got some... uh, I think we could probably spend a couple of hours talking about Permaculture Boot Camp, um, which you're running, and... and, uh, But I'm really excited about the artifacts that come from the boot camp. (laughs) I mean, just getting ready for the PDC. So we've got a lot of people that are coming early Mm -hmm. to be part of helping to prep because the projects are cool. Uh, and Jim ha- is having a natural building workshop for two weeks before the PDC. Um, that's uh, roundwood timber framing and uh, slip straw, um, uh, which sounds really fascinating. I'm, I'm looking forward to peeking in on that a lot. And he's got Erica helping with that, Erica Wisner. Um, all right, all right. Um, I'm getting off on a 87 different tangents, but there's just two tickets left to the PDC and the ATC, and um, so I don't know. Maybe pod people want to jump on that. Um, but you came here two years ago. I think it was like right about now, two years ago. It was right about now, and I, yeah, I thought I was going to be here for six weeks because you know there's four weeks before and then a two week PDC. So, Did you have trouble finding the door? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just felt good to be here. You know, it, it was. Uh, it, I felt um, appreciated for the work that I was doing, and felt like I could make a valuable contribution here. So, I want to push permaculture forward, and I think being here is a good way to do that. So. I I know that yeah I very much appreciate your being here and and you've done a lot to move our projects here forward and I feel like my own velocity outside of the lab is increased by having you here but setting setting up, I mean the, the we're going to get to some other topics here in a moment 
but I just thought it would be fun to spend like just five minutes covering what I think is a really important thing. And that is like in 2005, I not only visited a lot of intentional communities. Well, maybe I should ask this question. Does this seem like a community? I think there's a pretty strong sense of community here. People are helping each other out. We'll have different skills and knowledge sets to to pull from, and you know, you've, you've got friends that live right next door or, or down the road. So, it's so, yeah, very much a community to me. Yeah, I, uh, with intentional community, then of course you would. I've I've heard of intentional communities being as small as like four adults, mm-hmm. and as large as hundreds of people. You know, and so. Um, uh, Findhorn and Dominhur come to mind with hundreds of people. Um, and then sometimes they all live under one roof and sometimes they live in a little village of sorts. A lot of, in fact, I think Diana Leaf Christian is moving away from intentional community and moving towards using the phrase eco-village. And that eco-village has a, a community representation that she likes better. Mm. So, um, I would say that most of the people here live in their own structures, um, but you know, at, div- at different times there are multiple people living in one structure, um, and I think the long-term goal is to have a structure that holds roughly 20 people, and then there'll be a lot of smaller structures where you know your individuals might be that don't want to be in a bigger structure with others, but um, I agree. I think that we do have community here. And um, uh, and it's a different flavor, and and that you know there's a lot of people living in an intentional community, and it follows a certain recipe, and I think that our recipe here is is different. I I also think that nearly anybody in the world would not tolerate my tyranny. Um, <laughs> And and I think that it it's a rare person that's going to be like no it's um, it's fine. I, I think you you probably think that my tyranny is fine. You probably wouldn't even call it tyranny. Yeah, it's mostly innocuous to me. It's like not it's not objectionable. And and you work with me probably ten times more than say Evan. Probably even twenty times more than Evan. Yeah, I mean Evan is mostly doing his own thing. He's Still yeah. homesteading on his ant plot, right. and so um, I I think that uh, for you know what however it is I might turn out to torture Evan that torture is going to be twenty times less just because he hardly ever sees me, right? So, but I I do think that each person has their own story and and their reason for being here, um, and uh, and probably you know different degrees of comfort with everything here but i i do think that um you would think that everybody would be very very similar but i think that while that's true that's also not true i mean each of the stories is for each person is so very different um but i also think that we've had people who come here and it's like i'm here for the rest of my life in fact not that long ago, somebody came here. I'm here for the rest of my life, and then two hours later they left. Right, <laughs> halfway through the tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> bye bye. 
and and then uh, uh, and then of course your story um, uh, is is that you came for six weeks tops, four weeks for the trade, two weeks for the PDC, and then you know boom you're gone. Um, Jim's story is that he came for the PDC, and then um, a couple months later he's back to be an ant. Right. Yeah. He he was here, and then you know he I guess had just been thinking about what he experienced while he was here and tied up all of his other obligations so that he could move out here. Um, and I think Sean was here for the PDC and then he stayed to be an ant. I think that's the way it rolled out. Or did he show up? Did, uh, I, I can't think remember. he showed up as a gapper. As a gapper? I think so. Kai showed up as a gapper. Kai's been here for nearly two years. Mm-hmm. And he aligned really well with Evan. So he's on Evan's plot, and he's still a gapper, and he's been here for nearly two years. Right. And th- and that's a different kind of community. They each have their own house, but they got a shared kitchen and a shared acre and a half yeah. that they developed together. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, all right, I, I guess... As in 2005, as I was exploring intentional community, and I went and visited a bunch of intentional communities, and I read the books, and I took the workshops, and all this stuff, then um, the the it seemed to be like when I got there, and there would be 30 people living in an intentional community, then I would seek out the people that have been there the longest, and those were people that were generally leaving, and so I would interview them and say, well. Why are you leaving? And um, and I've I've have podcasts in the past where I've kind of talked about that. But the the key is is it seems like two years is a magic number. And now I'm sh- I've I've met people of communities. Um, in fact, when I was in when I was doing that keynote thing in Santa Fe. Then I was also on a panel for community, and there were two people there where I think that they'd been in their community for more than 20 years. And they had a lot of people in their community, which I believe is near Santa Fe, that have been there like more than five. And, and so I was like, wow, that's, that is amazing. Cause most of the communities I visited, it's like the community has existed for more than 10 years. But nobody at the community, actively living at the community, had been there for more than two. So um, all all of this community stuff here is an experimental phase, and um, it's trying to solve the problems of how do you get 20 people to live under one roof without stabbing each other. And and I kind of feel like the fact that you are voluntarily here <laughs> suggests that maybe our recipe, which I don't think is anything terribly complicated, um, is working. And and it and not only that, but it could continue to work for many years to come. And and in fact, you have a plot now. Yeah, yeah. Far from being you know packing my stuff and getting ready to move out, I'm. Digging deeper, yeah. So I, planting seeds and, um, you know, coming up with the design for a house and something I know I won't even get to be building this year. So <laughs> now, um, this year, uh, just a couple months ago, we started the boot camp program, and um, we had six people lined up, 
Um, uh, five of those six people were a family of five, and then they contacted us shortly before the boot camp started to say that they can't make it. Something happened. Mm-hmm. And we had one guy show up, and then he had a personal thing happen, and he had to go. So then we had zero people in the boot camp. Now there are two people in the boot camp, and they've been here for a few weeks. Has Cliff been here a month yet? Uh, pretty close to a month. It'll, I think in a few days it'll be a month. So these two guys, though, they're, they, they bring experience with them and some, some work gumption. Um, so, um, I think, I think that they're, in a way, they're spoiling you, but, I mean, the, the, the boot camp program, we expected to get people that were going to be like without skill. Right. Or knowledge or gumption. And so, um, we've got these two guys here now. How, how are you enjoying the boot camp for the last month? I think it's going pretty well. I mean, right now, I'm pretty sure those guys are getting something done, even though I'm not, you know, standing over their shoulder and guiding their hands. <laughs> and, it, you know, I'll be able to look and see if they did it or not. And, but I, you know, I'm almost yeah. I have no doubt that that's what they they're doing. What they said they would. They they know yeah. this stuff needs to get done, and they want to help out. I I think I think that if we had like four guys here, I shouldn't say guys. We had four people here that had no experience. That these two would set the pace and and carry them along, even if you're not there. Um, but yeah, these two guys, um, I I feel like they could easily be left alone. And, and do a good job. But I think an important thing for the boot camp program is that you are there elbow to elbow doing, doing the work with them. Um, you know, except for today. <laughs> but for the last month, you know, right. elbow to elbow, man. Well, I was with them all morning and, and, yeah. you know, part of the afternoon, but. Right. Then we, then I was obnoxious enough to say, let's record a podcast about this other topic. But okay. I guess. The important thing is, is that after all of my study in intentional community, that what I found is that for every community that's doing great, there are 10 communities that exist, um, and they are doing poorly. And, the peop- and by poorly, I mean like no one's lived there past the two-year mark. Um, the ones that are doing great have people that, it, that are there past two years. Um, and then for every community you can find that's doing poorly, I think you could find, I'm going to, I'm going to speculate 20 communities that have folded mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Um, and so I kind of feel like what we have here may very well in the long run. And I really think we've got to get to the 10 year mark and, until we can really judge. But it's, um, that it's possible that we could be of that top 0.1% that, that do well. Mm-hmm. And I, my math might be off on that. I'd have to go through those numbers again, but I think 0.1% is about right. Um, 0.05. Is it 0.05? Okay. All right. <laughs> you were doing the math as we we're going along? No, I just need one in 20 and then 10 yeah. of that. So. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I, I, I think, um, I'm excited and hopeful that, that this is going to work out. And, and, and I know that in a podcast a long time ago, we talked about the pig bucket problem and that the solution to the pig bucket problem was to have 
most of the people here have been here for more than like three years. And, um, and I think, I think we have a recipe to get there. I, I, I think that, uh, and, and on top of that, for the things we're going to talk about today, I, I think that it's important, um, to, to recognize um, the different flavors of people and the different things that are of value to them. And um, plus, you know, moving all of permaculture forward um, uh, and that kind of thing. So um, it is it is rather related. And now I've got to undo. All right. You want to come over here? And, and, I, and the format I want to do, so this is something that I wrote like a year and a half ago. And um, so I'm going to do that thing. And, and this is actually the, the there was a point in time when um, Jocelyn was trying to get the podcasts happening again. And as part of it, we came up with a list of possible topics based on essays that I had written over the last I don't know how long. Yep. And and then so we made a list of these. And the three of us were like, okay, which ones do we want to talk about? And then you said you wanted to do this one. And then for some reason we didn't do it, you right. know, because we hate you. Well, and... it was like, okay, maybe the next week. <laughs> or And then maybe the next week there was things coming up. You There's know. always stuff reasons. coming up. Yeah, yeah, because of all the reasons, yeah. And today we're finally going to do the one that you wanted to do last fall. <laughs> So, I don't know, what's it been? Seven months? <laughs> I, yeah, I lost track. Okay, alright, alright. And we're finally, we're finally getting over. To, so, um, what we, we called this one Struggles, Hurdles, Challenges, and Observation. Um, but the focus, I think, is to f- respect the different ways that different people want to live their lives. But, um, and I, and I think that this was in, that I wrote this in response to like, um, how some people, some people will take a challenge and then, cause like a lot of people kind of point out like, well, why did they get to have it? Or why did they get to be paid 10 times more than me? Or why does that person get all of the whatevers? And, and, um, and that guy has all the unfair advantages and, you know, and, and all this stuff. Now, how does this, how does this happen? Where does it come from? And, and how do you get to be a, a, a person that is some kind of authority in anything? Um, so I, I, I think that there's a lot of that. All right. So I start this off, <clears throat> um, talking about a tree. When I was about 12, I read a book where there was a father and son living in a simple house with a simple yard and a big tree behind the house. Somehow things were such that the father could spend all day every day under that tree. He would read books. He would visit with friends that came by. He would tinker with things and maybe dabble in a bit of art. And napping seemed to be a part two. The son would go to school. The son told the father that he was embarrassed that the father didn't work like the other fathers. So, the father got a job 
and became miserable. The boy liked his father from before more than the working father. So he asked his father to go back to his old life, and they lived happily ever after. Okay, so now the thing I'm thinking is, is that if you got any comments, because I wrote this. <laughs> right, right. And I know it's coming up. But if you got any comments at any point, then then we talk about, we stop and we, we talk about it. Okay. Well, I don't think I have any yet. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think you talk about some of it further down. So, okay. The stuff that you want to talk about, the stuff that's interesting to you is coming up. Okay. The big tree, the books, the puttering, that is the part that I remember. I think about that quite a lot. I suppose a few years ago, I was at a point where I could do that, but I traveled another path. Maybe I can still get to that path, but it seems there are so many things that I still want to do. Maybe in a way I'm sort of doing it now. I'm doing a bunch of things I want to do rather than having a worky job. So it's a bit like the puttering part of the story. Observation. Here is another part of the same story, something that isn't discussed in the story. Why is it that the man, the the, the dad, doesn't have to work, but it would seem that the other dads have to work? So we activate permaculture observation and see that there are people who have to work, And we see people that seem to work in order to fill their days. We also see people that are retired, and we see people that don't need to work at all, even though they are not of retirement age. I am not yet of retirement age, but I suppose I could say that I am retired, you know, from being a software engineer, pretty much, kind of, sort of, a little bit. Um... We could explore the fictitious path of the characters in this story or other stories. Another possibility is to observe my path and compare it to the paths of those that are still working or those that feel they have to work. All right. A challenge. On January 2, 1989, I started a new job as a software engineer. This was actually my the first job that I got when I very first moved to Missoula. Well, wait, no, no, I take that back. My very first software engineering job, I, I picked up some sucky job that I worked until I could get a software engineering job in Missoula. Um, so it's January 2, 1989. I was handed a huge gob of code and told to make this program work within four weeks. There is no slip in this date because the company has a million-dollar bond on the project. If the project is not done on time, then the bond must be paid. The program was written in C, a language I had never used. The program had been getting worked on for 18 months. Over the first week, I learned that seven other engineers had, one by one, worked on the project and then quit the company. What I was handed wouldn't even compile. I looked through the code, and I could see the many different styles of writing. I learned C, 
and got the program done on time by working very long hours. I ended up pretty much rewriting the whole thing. Today, I calculated that I earned $3.78 per hour on that project. I built a reputation within that company for being freaky awesome developer despite my youth. I added excellent resume material. I learned a lot about the C programming language, which then became the language I worked in for the next 11 years. I got paid while building my skills, which I would later leverage into a lot of money. So, I did not benefit directly, but I did benefit indirectly. I can only speculate about the seven developers that came before me. Through the decades of my career, I met lots of engineers, so in hindsight, speculation's pretty easy. Some things we know for sure, they had 18 months, I had four weeks. They all knew C already, I didn't. Now for the speculation. They had oodles of meetings. For each concern or problem, they had meetings. When an obvious solution did not present itself, they would need to ask others, do research, etc. They worked no more than 40 hours per week, and when they went home, they did not refine their craft or build their knowledge. They relaxed. Maybe even at the foot of a tree. Further speculation. They feel that their job is to show up and gently move software forward. Business needs are generally unrealistic. Basically, they want a job where they are paid a professional wage, but the part where you do the professional work is unrealistic. So, they work to find a job where they can get maximum pay for least effort. And then they are baffled that other developers are earning ten times as much. Sometime around 1999, there was a software product out called EJB. What it does or how it works is not important. But it broke software engineers down into two groups long-haired developers and short-haired developers. A short-haired developer worked 40 hours per week and was mediocre at best. A long-haired developer worked 100-plus hours per week, so many hours that they usually just slept at the office. These were the superstar programmers. The promise of EJB was that the long-haired programmers developed the EJB engine, and then, if the short-haired programmers wrote code to the EJB specs, the resulting program would have superpowers. The superstars would do epic shit and would collect epic coin. The short-haired programmers accomplished little things for little coin. One could argue that most of them led little gray lives and little gray houses. They would read books and articles. They would sometimes attend a conference or a training seminar. In their 60s, they would humbly retire. Taking a moment to forget about the tree and forget about the money, how does it feel to know that seven people tried and quit, but you were given the same project with more hurdles 
and you got it done. How do you feel based on your standards? How do you feel when you've been put to the test and you found you to be a champion by your standards? A life champion, a superstar by your own standards. No one else needs to know, you know. The company sold that software for years, unmodified. I never touched it again. The company gave me no recognition. I was given more tasks. After about eight months, I got a healthy raise. My work life was easier despite my youth because I had accomplished so much. I had a lot of philosophies about programming that were contrary to the norm, so I started to flesh those out on my own time in C and later in C++. I don't think I would have learned C or C++ if it wasn't for that job, but even more than that, I proved to myself that I had become relatively competent. I rapidly built a lot of software, both at work and at home. The quality and quantity grew exponentially. I racked up lists of stories like this. Most of them were of little value as resume fodder. They were mostly of value to me and some of my peers online. As I made things and shared them, opportunities kept popping up. And my own ideas kept me busy, which would lead to more and more notoriety and opportunities. In time, I became something of an authority. The struggles I took on doing that four weeks played an important part in rapidly expanding the new world in which I would become something awesome by my own standards. Okay, you still got nothing? Well, I mean... It's still coming up? No, no, no. I mean, there is definitely more coming up, but... So, I, th I mean, I think there's a lot to what you have said about how it went for you is a lot of how some of the stuff here was designed, like the, the Gapper 2.0, where, you know, like, yeah, you might not be getting paid very much, but you're getting paid to learn a skill. And so... So... Someone could try a project that they had no experience doing and by the end of it be, you know, competent at that project and have made a little bit of money. I I think I think that there's some stuff like in the permaculture world, you know, um I I think that for one thing, like right now, I uh, all the, I get in a bunch of money for a bunch of different things that I did and then I spend it all on projects. And then at the end of the year, we do my taxes, and it turns out I made $3 an hour. So, no, wait. In 2014, I made 80 cents an hour. <laughs> right. And and so um, I think I think that there's a lot of that that, that goes on. But then the, um, the important thing is, is that um, the... The feeling that I have, which I think a lot of the people that, are, if whoever's listening to this podcast right now, I suspect that they feel about permaculture the same way that I feel, and you and I have talked about this before, and I think you feel the same way, which is that the the need to 
fix the world with this tool mm-hmm. is hugely important. And, and everything else just, I mean, going and working at any job that has nothing to do with permaculture, but getting paid, I mean, I could go out and get, get paid a hundred, hundreds of dollars per hour. Um, but rather than doing that, I'm making 80 cents an hour and it's worth it. I, in fact, I can't even comprehend the idea of trying to go back. Right. It would be misery. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, yeah, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. I, I mean, I, there have been times when we've been doing some designs with the forum software that we use and I'm talking to the engineers and they're stuck on something and it turns out I still have some pretty awesome software engineering chops <laughs> when it comes to design. And so uh, I would make suggestions that would fix everything. I feel pretty fucking awesome still as a software engineer. But um, the important thing is, is that um, this permaculture stuff is so very, very, very important. And, and the problem, there are many problems, but a big part of it is, is like, it's not a household word. I want everybody to know about this stuff. I want, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people, the people who supposedly give a shit to be able to know a tenth of these things. You know, that would be mighty handy. So, yes, um, I think that uh, there's... And then, of course, there's the whole thing of, like, um, uh, uh, people who um, you say, you know, they want to take on a task. And so before, we used to have money. <laughs> so we would pay people. Like, yeah. when I wrote this, I probably still was making money. And um, so... Uh, uh, somebody, we'd say to somebody, okay, you, you know, do this task for 200 bucks. And they say, okay, it's a deal. And then they get halfway into it and they say, it's, it's not going to pay enough. Right. It wasn't worth it. I'm only going to make three bucks an hour. I'm only going to, yeah, I'm only going to, yeah, because of whatever their, you know, reasonings are. And, and I, I usually like do a face palm because it's like, Either their math is really bad or, you know, how they've decided to count hours is different than the way other people count hours. <laughs> um, you know, something something like that. But it's kind of like, okay, you know what? Because they're trying to say, like, I should get paid $25 an hour because I'm skilled, damn it. And it's kind of like, well, if your skills were that good, then wouldn't your powers of estimation because of your, you know, massive experience in this space tell you, that you're going to wind up with $25 an hour. And then at the point of negotiation, you when you accepted it, you would say, I hereby don't accept this because I'm going to only get $3 an hour. You know, So I think what we learned was is that your skills are not as high as you seem to think they are. Right. And, and, then, and then still you get to the end, to the finish line, and you got paid to learn stuff, and, and which it did increase your skills in this exact set that you claim to have great skill in. Um, I'm I'm kind of thinking a lot about those two guys that were here, like I don't know what was that a year and a half ago or so, almost. Yeah, and uh, they claim to be expert carpenters, like master carpenters. And a job that would have taken master carpenters like two, two and a half days 
ended up taking them two and a half months. And uh, and I I believe that there are plans this week to correct the things that they supposedly did. We're putting some of those plans into place to, to undo <laughs> the damage they've done. I think I've heard from several people that what they want to do is take all that work out and do it over again correctly. Um, but, you know, that would take, a, it would take more time than two and a half days because you've got to undo a lot of interesting stuff. Right. And, and then you kind of need those materials again. Right. It's not the way that you would have expected master carpenters to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, and those two guys, they aren't the only two guys that say, I'm a master carpenter! You know, and, 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 and played this game. So, um, we've seen a lot of that. It's been interesting. And I, I think we've kind of gotten to the point where it's like, you know what? It's this much to do the job. And you can sing your Master Carpenter song as you do it if you want. Kind of don't care. Although I, I got to say that I think I want to move in a direction like with the boot camp where everything is supervised and the quality is going to. And if a Master Carpenter comes and is part of the boot camp, then it will be amazing. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that their master carpenter certificate is in the mail, <laughs> then it will probably be better because it's under the supervision of Fred. Um, yeah, it might not be, you know, the best master craftsmanship, but it won't be done that bad. So wrong. Yeah, so, so, so wrong. So, um, uh, all right. I'm going to continue reading my my silliness here. Yes. Okay. I suppose there's a certain level of comfort in following a normal path. Your income is predictable. Your retirement is predictable. You have your evenings and weekends to relax and enjoy life. Maybe a nice restaurant and or a fun movie. Bowling. (laughs) Rooting for the home team. Parades, bars, parties, barbecues, video games, concerts. And when presented with problems, the solution sought is for finding normal or average or good enough, which of course is good enough. Sometimes the solution is to change your job or maybe even your career. Uh, this path is fine. It works. You still get paid in life is calm. But, if you take on a large problem and don't just solve it, but create an excellent solution, maybe even the best ever, you build a great deal of knowledge and skill. You are now able to take on a larger problem. And then, by the time you are old, who are you? By your standards, what have you done? What is your mark on the world? I like to say it's your death resume. It's it's the stuff you talk about with the other old raisins at the old raisins home. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about what I did. You ever heard of permaculture? No? Well, then I'm going to spend the next six hours telling you about permaculture. So, you know, I mean, what... 
Right. What do you have to show for at the end of it all? What are your accomplishments? Who are you? I mean, basically, whatever it is you did, that defines who you are. And and I kind of feel like a lot of people, when they get to the old Raisins home, they got really nothing to say. And on the other hand, I feel like I have a fuck ton to say. I feel like my death resume right now is epic shit. Even if you leave out all the permaculture stuff, I think uh, that death resume is going to take up several pages at least. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, my software career, I think, was pretty epic shit. And there's other things that I accomplished outside of that that I think were pretty epic shit. Above and beyond. And so, and I'm, I, I guess that's a big part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage people to um, consider the epic shit path. All right. Um, so you take on bigger problems and bigger problems, each preparing you for something bigger than you thought possible, each solution so excellent that you are an authority on these problems, or you could be. This is not a life of good enough. This is the life of fucking awesome. This is the life of being a superhero by your own standards. Do epic shit. Permaculture, as a whole, has a lot more hurdles to overcome. Thousands? Homesteading in general is going to be a long list of hurdles. When it comes to rocket mass heater innovation, there have been oodles of hurdles. I debate a lot with Ernie and Erica about this stuff. For big issues, there have been things where they were right, and there have been things where I was right. And there have been accidental discoveries, too. Without the challenges, you can never be fucking awesome. The end. Now, I, I've written more in this thread in response to a lot of the stuff that the people have said. Yeah. But um, and, and maybe I'll go and look at some of that. But I, I think that the moral of the story is that going out and doing permaculture is is being a fucking weirdo and 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 so if what you want is comfort and to be just like your the the people that you know now find you to be fine then you're probably not going to do permaculture and if you're going to travel this path you've got to accept that they're going to think you're nuts and on the other hand I don't think that I mean what would be a path what would be an example of like being fucking awesome at something but nobody thinks you're nuts. I suppose being like a football star, you, you no one would think you're nuts for being a football star. Well, I shouldn't say no one, but I would say you know a lot of the pop, a lot of people are going to think you're fucking awesome being a football star. Right. Um. I suppose that there. I mean, um. There, there's not that many. <laughs> There's nothing. Well, there's yeah. There's going to be so being an athlete is generally accepted. If you can be excellent at being an athlete, that's generally accepted as as being fucking great. But for most fields, you know, for our field, for for sustainable ag, for permaculture, for natural building, 
you know what who are who are the fucking awesome people and how did they get there and and i and i i think what i want is i want to see more fucking awesome people and so why are they not being fucking awesome and when i when i observe why are they not being fucking awesome it's because there's a bunch of people surrounding them who are discouraging them from being fucking awesome mm-hmm. for one reason or another like you know, if you travel that path, then you're not going to make a million dollars. So therefore, that's a stupid path. A lot of the people that I talked to when the well was out were kind of like, oh, well, you're just going to have someone do it. Right? You're going to... Why would? Why are, you, why are you asking these questions if your well is out? Like... <laughs> Don't you just hire the guy to fix it for you? Have you not found the phone number? You just call a phone number, and a guy does it. Yeah, and it's done. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, they were... I did talk to a few people at the hardware store, the local hardware store, and and, um, they had done, you know, they had fixed wells themselves on their property or, or someone of their family's property, but... You know, theirs was like 100 feet or 150 feet deep. And so they were kind of, they were impressed that we were doing something that was 600 feet deep. And that felt good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, granted, when we started, we thought it was 300 feet deep, which is still, even a 300 foot deep well, that's a, that's a pretty big challenge. Yeah. And, and then we found out halfway through that it's 600 feet deep. And there were hints along the way that we apparently didn't pick up. Right. But I would guess that 80% of the people in any rural area, and I might I might downgrade, downgrade that to 70%, but I'm going to say 80 for now, 80% of the people will, will repair their own well. I, I, would, I think that's probably true because maybe some... Thing about eighty percent of the people have a well that's less than one hundred fifty feet deep. Okay, then then there's that. <laughs> um, I mean, there's going to be people that have a well that's only seventy feet deep, and they're going to, you know, call the oh, sure. the sure. well company and and have it mended. It stopped working. Come do things, and then after you're all done, you just hand me a bill, and I'll pay it with my <laughs> infinite funds. Right. And that now if somebody told me, oh, well, the well's out and it's a thousand feet down, oh, okay, we'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's probably going to be about 70% harder than one that's um, 600 feet deep. Yeah, yeah, there'll be different challenges. Yeah. But, but a lot of the same principles. To- we're going to need a bigger tractor <laughs> <laughs> to, to right. lift all that stuff. Dif- different tools, but the mm-hmm. similar... Yeah. Similar process. <laughs> hey, and, and now we even have leftover tools, you know, that might be useful someday. W- yeah, who knows what, what we could use them for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I, I, think, I think that the, I mean, I'm trying to remember a lot of different things that were going on at the time, and, and I kind of feel like a lot of people were of the mindset of um I was only willing to do it if I was paid a lot and the work was easy. Right. If I could 
sleep in, you know, until one and stop at four. Right. And still get paid for a full day. Yeah, and I could call that a full day, which later, when I do the math, will be an eight-hour day. Um, you know, but but anyway, um, I'm but I'm kind of thinking about I don't know. It it, it seems to be at the time when I wrote this a recurring theme of working with people where it's like I'm not being paid enough, and at the same time, what they're bringing to the table is weak, and it's like I only want work that's really, really, really easy. I don't have to figure it out. You're going to spoon feed me, and I'm paid a lot to be spoon fed. And I kind of feel like, no, there's, I suppose people can get jobs like that. I mean, I've worked at places where the reason why I was hired was to fix everything, and I can see the problem is that they've hired a bunch of people like that. Right. Oh, well, yeah, this job is harder than I thought. Can you pay me more, even though I agreed to this other price? Oh, jeez. How does that keep happening? I, it's like, okay, I know we agreed to this price. <laughs> and I know it isn't done, but it's hard. So I need you to help me, and I need you to pay me more. Get out. <laughs> just, just go away. So, I, I've met people that do like what I'm describing here, where they eat problems for breakfast. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, this is, I will plow through this. I will make it fucking awesome. And, and I kind of feel like, like, it's like wearing overalls. When I wear overalls, there are a lot of people that are, uh, like they see a guy in overalls and they think something icky. Like, like, oh, geez, that guy has no fashion sense. Um, that guy is dressed like a dumb fuck. That guy. So it repels them. Right. And so I kind of feel like I want to say that if, if, if we're, if I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it on me. If I'm a dick about this, you know, and, and people are like, I wanna, I know I agreed to that, but I wanna get paid more, and I kinda need you to do the work. <laughs> then, then it's like, I, I think that I need to be kind of an extreme dick to them, to the point that they are driven off. And, you know, then, then the people that are not that way, then it's not a problem. Right. And, and so then, cause I kind of feel like too, if you've got two people and one guy is, works hard and figures it the fuck out and honors his agreements without a lot of whining. And then the other guy does a lot of whining, does not honor his agreements, and and wants to be paid more and blah 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 blah. I think that that's if if you keep the whiner on, both parties will end up being resentful. It's it's a recipe for resentments. Oh sure. And so then, you know, the guy that works hard is like, why the fuck is this guy even here? I 
why am I getting paid the same amount as that guy? Why am I working so hard? Why am I working so hard when this guy is like such a fucking loser? And then the loser guy is like, why does that other guy keep doing all this stuff to make the rest of us look like shit? You know? How fucking rude is that? And, and so knock, knock that off. You think you're better than me? Huh? (laughs) I always thought that expression was funny. It's like, somebody says, you think you're better than me, which I've heard. Many times, and of course, my answer is always yes. <laughs> right. Otherwise, I would <laughs> but, be trying to be like you. But I think of being trying to be like me. I think nothing waves the dumb fuck flag like that phrase. You think you're better than me? It's like you're calling yourself a dumb fuck. You, I didn't have to say anything. You're just announcing to the world that you are a dumb fuck. So, all right. <clears throat> I, I think my article is a bit more wholesome than where I just went. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we can, uh, it seems like there was, I've, I got a fuck ton of, uh, upvotes and likes and all kinds of shit for that. And then there was all kinds of, uh, people making all kinds of, uh, commentary. And let's see, I'm coming down here. I'm trying to find where I start to say the next thing. There it is. Um, so somebody wrote to say uh, working 100 hours a week on software sounds like a much smaller grayer life than working 40 hours a week and going home to a warm family small garden and a nice tree for the other 60 hours and my response was and now I focus my time on permaculture I have massive lifetime accomplishments I am now some sort of permaculture authority, and I only learned the word in 2001. I think this is my third time at being famous, and my sixth time if we lower the bar a bit. I have at least a dozen stories like the one I told above. Nobody really cares about them all uh, that much except for me. I have been asked in the past, what does it take to accomplish something that I've accomplished. And I think this thread is a feeble attempt to convey possibly the most important component. I got an email from Jeff Lawton yesterday. He asked me about what do we need to do to get permaculture into more brains? I think it is this, the stuff in this thread, permies ramping up to be Uber permies, Uber mega super permies, the leaders of our future. Maybe somebody can demonstrate four different kinds of hookah culture, then 40, then document 400. Maybe somebody can take the study of companion planting deep into the world of polycultures with dozens of species. Maybe somebody can demonstrate huge income from permaculture growies. I could have posted this to my forums at CodeRanch.com, but I posted it here because I want to see permaculture become the obvious path for our future. I saw this quote this morning. Uh, Far and away, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. Theodore Roosevelt. I'm going to keep on doing what I do. 
If my writing this somehow plays a small part in two people getting to the point that their permaculture fame far exceeds my own, then this was worth writing. I am obsessed with permaculture evolving to be better than it is, and I am equally obsessed with more people learning about permaculture. All right, so then I'm quoting her again, but I feel like from reading some of your posts and listening to some of your podcasts that you undergo a lot more stress and conflict than I generally do. My response. It comes with the territory. If you want to do epic shit, you will have detractors. If you want to avoid having detractors, you cannot do epic shit. Of course, some people are able to do epic shit with epic shit with fewer detractors than others. Now he's starting to get in the space of be yourself. All right. Uh, another fellow writes to say, um, smooth seas do not make skilled sailors. My response, fuck, I wrote all that stuff and now I had written just that. You win the Brevity Award. Apple for you. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read that one more time. This is a summary of your whole article. This is this is really the whole podcast. Smooth seas do not make skilled sailors. So the one woman was saying something like, "Well, I want to work just 40 hours a week, and then uh, and then have some leisure time." Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you go ahead and do that. I mean, you know, and she was also trying to argue that. This, because of her choices, what she does with her leisure time, she's less of a great person than somebody who works 100 hours a week doing software engineering. Of course, she's probably writing to me using a massive epic collection of software written by people that were working 100 hours plus per (laughs) week uh, in order to make it so that she could do this bizarre form of communication. Um, And, you know, didn't know and didn't, didn't care. <clears throat> All right. Um, then somebody writes, sometimes no one needs to know, but somewhere along the road, recognition is important. My response. So I mentioned above how shortly after the four-week project, I started to push my thoughts into a C and C++ library. In 1995, my program, Bananacom, built with these philosophies, became number one out of 50 apps in that field. And then I was contacted by a recruiter and asked to lead a team of software engineers for a library, for library development for a new language due to that C, C++ library that I put out years earlier. Later that language was named Java. I got oodles of recognition from peers that I respected. All right. Uh, another person writes, in the past few years, I have come to realize that when you're working for someone else, you are making them money. If you aren't, you will not have the job. To look at it another way, look at time. Everyone gets the same 24 hours in a day. If someone can get some of someone else's time, they get ahead. That is what the whole capitalism system is about, time and surplus given to the capitalist. My response, which is good business. They get something and I get something. What they offer is money in exchange for something useful for them to make money, a fair trade. Of course, while I am there, I can harvest so much more if I want to. Can I turn this into fodder for a book, 
for a presentation, for an article? Is there something happening here where I can now be a global expert? Did I make something that was mediocre or did I make something that was beyond their expectations? Did I outperform other engineers at the same organization? I led my glorious life and got paid. It may be true that they were using me, but I was also using them. Mutually beneficial, a symbiotic relationship. Okay, a moment ago we were talking about how these guys were coming and they were like, you have to pay me more. You know, I'm electing to not honor what I said I would do. I need you to pay me more. And it's like, it seems like the total opposite. And it's like, what what they could do is that they could use the opportunity and leverage the opportunity to be so much more, but instead they kind of don't want to. They kind of just, they kind of want to coast. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like for a lot of my software career, a lot of, I, I don't think what I do now in permaculture, I don't think you could call it a career. Um, and, and earlier today I was kind of thinking about this. It was kind of like um, how people talk to me about, you know, starting a business here. And nearly universally, um, what they say is something like, I need, I need to know how much I'm going to be paid, guaranteed. Like, what's my guaranteed income? Because I'm trying to say, it's a business. You'll be starting a business. Right. And and they still need to feel like they're, they're going to be guaranteed some income from me. Right. And and then at the same time, they also want to make it clear that I shouldn't expect some huge amount of work. And I kind of feel like, well, whatever it is that I do, then who's guaranteeing my income? And why? And what happens? What happens if I get spinal problems and I'm on my back for three months? And it's like, oh, my income streams shrivel up. Right. You know, why wasn't there somebody guaranteeing my income? And so um, I kind of feel like if you're going to do epic shit, you got to figure this shit out for yourself. And you got to, you got to, you know, get a fucking grip. And I mean... I like the idea that our boot camp program brings people in who don't have work experience or a work ethic, and they're going to learn about what is it that they want from life. And um, and I think there's a lot of people that they don't know what they want to do next. And a lot of those people turn to the boot camp that comes with the army package just to kind of have some kind of substance in their life, something. Because it's like they're, they're living in their mom's basement, and their mom's saying... Get the fuck out. <laughs> or, or mom is saying, I'm moving <laughs> and other people are moving in. They probably don't want you living there. And they're armed. <laughs> yeah, they don't want you living there. So, um, uh, whatever. So you find yourself in this position where it's like, it turns out you're a worthless piece of shit. You can't even hold a job at, you're not qualified enough to hold a job at McDonald's. Um, or I'm trying to think like, what is the simplest, most brain dead, lowest paid job? In the United States, I, I don't know. I just McDonald's is kind of a default. They get picked on a lot. They seem to be pretty durable at getting picked on. Yeah, it could be McDonald's. And 
it doesn't it doesn't take much to get a job at McDonald's, but uh, I don't know. I would it probably take something to keep the job at McDonald's. I I would speculate that because now I, I I remember um, when I lived in Missoula back in the eighties when I was writing this or when I what I was writing about when I was doing that software engineering and I was epic awesome. That I remember reading that, you know, the, uh, the cost of, of housing in Missoula was close to that of San Francisco or Seattle. Mm. And, um, but the average income in Missoula was very low. And that, um, there was an opening at the local Burger King. 200 people applied. And several of them had PhDs. Wow. Yeah. But, I think that this is an indicator of how awesome it is to live in Missoula because those people could move. They could go somewhere where it's easier to get a burger flipping job. But, um, but they stayed in Missoula because Missoula is just that cool. So where I think you were going with this was that even if, even if you can't get a job at McDonald's, there's still one place that will take you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can join the army. Yeah. And they'll make you into a different person. They, they, their, their boot camp is to tear you down and rebuild a soldier. Right. It's a training program. Yeah. <laughs> a pretty intense one. And, and you might not even make the cut in that, but I mean, I think that they do lit you off a little bit easy. <laughs> but, you know, um, that might be your only option at some point. And, and, uh, uh, all right, all right. And I, I kind of feel like our boot camp is nothing that brutal. (laughs) But I do believe that there's going to be some people that are kind of like, I want something of substance. I'm living in my mom's basement or whatever their story is. And they feel the need to find their thing, to find their passion. And I kind of feel like, this, I, I like the idea that our boot camp is very likely to help them with that. Right. They they might have come here not knowing how to use a saw or a drill, like one of the guys that showed up, and right, and and they can learn that here by doing work. And I got the impression that guy seriously enjoyed learning about the saw and the drill and the hammer and all the. He, he got experience with these tools. I got the impression that he valued that greatly. He was paying close attention. He was a quick learner. He just couldn't stay for other reasons. Right. You know, <laughs> but still, he enjoyed it thoroughly. And, and I think some people might find out that their calling is honeybees or cattle or market garden or natural building, you know, and, and they just don't know until they've tried it. And then, They'll try a dozen things, dozens of things, and then suddenly one thing will just hit them as like, this is all I want to do the rest of my life. Right. And that's their thing. They found it. So I do believe that while here under the boot camp program, people will get a massive buffet of experiences. Quite a variety of of projects to complete. All right, so I was paid poorly in my youth for doing epic awesome shit, but I was effectively using them 
for my needs. I ended up writing about it. I ended up find, I ended up teaching about it. I ended up doing all kinds of stuff with the information that I gleaned from these organizations. And they thought that they were getting away with paying me crappy. And in, in a sense, they were. And um, at the same time, I wanted to live in Missoula. And there's not a lot of software engineering jobs in Missoula. And so I I took this one, which paid very low. But, you know, I can leverage that. And I did. Um, the, the seven guys before me, they leveraged it in a different way. <laughs> they showed up, they didn't do much, and they got paid for it, and then they left. And in my career later, most of the companies that I went to, because they were in a pickle, they had a lot of those guys there. Guys that... No one's ever heard of. Made a lot of sounds about what awesome engineers they were, but they weren't really accomplishing much of anything. They didn't know what the fuck they were doing, but they were glad to fuss and demand higher pay and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. All right. What else have I got written in here? Um, maybe that's just enough. Okay, I'm going to call it good. Anything else you got to say on this topic? Uh, I don't think so. I mean... All right. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about doing epic shit, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.